emanating from www.michaelnimmons.com. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. This is Michael Eric Dyson. This is Rochelle Riley, straight out of Detroit. This is Dr. Victoria Dooley at Dr. Dooley MD. What up, everybody? It's your boy, comedian Jay Stevens. This is Frederick D. Haynes III. I am Justin Coates, an author and anti-bullying activist. I am Pam Perry. Hey, everybody. This is Rochelle V. Mann, CEO of Man Made Productions. This is Bree Diane, international evangelist. Hey, this is Candace Pretty Strange Smith. And what's up? This is Ty Scott King. I was cracking Planet Earth. It's your boy Griff, comedian, author, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, philanthropist, but a Jesus Christ lover. You understand me? And you're listening to Thinking Out Loud Radio with my homeboy, Michael Nemeth. Check him out right here. Go ahead, Mike. Give him that good, good. I want you to give a warm Thinking Out Loud Radio Show welcome to Emmy Award winning WXYZ Channel 7 anchor woman and new friend of the show, Miss Carolyn Clifford. Well, thank you, Michael, and what a nice introduction. So happy to be here. You know what I've got to do. i got to check out my man, Michael Nimmons, who is handling his business as he drops that knowledge. I like that because Frederick Douglass, for whom I'm named, says that knowledge unfits us for slavery. Truth sets us free. If you want to be free, you want to be like Mike. Check out the best radio show online. You're locked in right now to our listening. You're tuned into the... And without thinking about it, guess what? I'm thinking out loud right here on a Thinking Out Loud radio show. And if you want to stay in the know, you better be listening to Thinking Out Loud radio show. You're listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Check out Thinking Out Loud. Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thinking Out Loud radio show. Don't you dare touch that dial. The Thinking Out Loud radio show with Michael Nimmin. Featuring author, motivational speaker, and minister, Michael Nimmin's. Minnesota to London, England, from New Zealand to New York City. Black Lives Matter and I Can't Breathe are the sentiment of people around the world. Dr. King was right. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We must do everything we can to continue to march, protest, and rally for justice. Let us march on until victory is won. An important message from the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Hello. 
Hello and welcome to another edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And I'm your host, author, motivational speaker, and minister, Michael Nimmons. And you're tuned in to the show that's giving voice to issues that matter to you. Happy Tuesday to everybody. We thank you so much for tuning in to yet another edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And um, we're excited about tonight's show. And we're going to be bringing to you part two of our interview of Dr. Pinnell Joseph, author of The Sword and the Shield, The Revolutionary Lives of Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We hope you enjoyed part one of our interview on last week. If you haven't heard it yet and you're just tuning in for the first time, you can always listen to uh, this interview available on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. You can also go to our website at michaelnimmons.com and listen to last week's show. But we uh, had a great conversation, I think, and talked about a number of different things, including uh, what's happening now in America uh, with the George Floyd protests and Rashawn Brooks protest. There are uprisings uh, that are taking place around the country, protests and demonstrations uh, that are uh, taking place not just around the country, but quite frankly, around the world. Uh, and that's why I think this is a moment that uh, is unlike any other. And we talked about it last week that this is what I'm calling a tipping point uh, because uh, black lives uh, matter are being is being chanted not only uh, in this country in Minneapolis Minnesota in New York City in, in Los Angeles California in Chicago Illinois and Detroit Michigan but uh, I can't breathe and black lives matter are being chanted in places like New Zealand and uh, Berlin Germany and uh, Paris uh, France and London England and uh, Liberia South Africa and places around the country and the world are chanting I Can't Breathe and Black Lives Matter. They're chanting George Floyd's name in places uh, that uh, he's never been and from people that he has never met. And so this is a moment unlike any other uh, we have ever seen. And that's why I believe change is on the horizon. And uh, we are just so um, uh, it's a moment that that um uh, should really give you chills because social media is a big part of this. As you look on social media, you see videos being posted by those uh, who, um, you know, are either shooting it themselves or sharing it. Uh, we all are in some way are part of, of this movement for change uh, that uh, we believe is on the horizon. And uh, it's a movement that um, uh, is really gaining uh, some traction. Uh, as I said, we are bringing to you part two of our discussion of uh, uh, Dr. Joseph's book, Sword and the Shield. And uh, just to recap a little bit about what we discussed on last week, we talked a lot about uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Peniel Joseph's book, The Sword and the Shield and the Lives of Malcolm X and Dr. King. Uh, and I wanted to kind of just give you some of my thoughts on uh, our interview as well as some of the things that we discussed. And um, I, uh, uh, 
you know, we again talked a lot about what Dr. King and Malcolm X would would say and would have done if they were yet alive now. Um, uh, interesting conversation uh, that, um, you know, Dr. Peniel and I both had, but I'm sure uh, you might have talked about amongst yourselves as well. You know, what if Dr. King and Malcolm X were still alive today? How would they uh, be handling the, uh, the this 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 crisis of racism and police brutality in America? Would they be working together? Would they be on opposite sides of the spectrum? You know, and Dr. Joseph uh, believed they would be working together uh, in many ways if they were yet alive today. Uh, he also said that uh, we do need both Malcolm and Martin uh, in this in this moment. Uh, the sword and we need the shield. And what also was interesting is how he he thought that uh, Malcolm X and Dr. King, even though they were viewed uh, one nonviolently and the person of Dr. King and Malcolm X was viewed as the more violent, fiery uh, orator uh, and uh, 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 and speaker uh, as opposed to Dr. King, uh, that he, he, he said that in some ways Dr. King was uh, a re- had a revolutionary mindset and was a revolutionary thinker. Um, and uh, and Malcolm X was uh, what he called a brilliant pragmatist, uh, pragmatist, and uh, he also called him the America's prosecuting attorney. So I thought uh, you know those were interesting uh, characterizations of those two men, and how again we both need a revolutionary thinker as well as a uh, a, 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 a civil pragmatist, as Doctor um, Peniel Joseph characterized both men and uh, another part of our discussion that was interesting to me as we talked about uh, the legacy of President Barack Obama as it relates to what uh, Dr. King and what Malcolm X would think of his presidency uh, you know of course uh, I'm thinking or, or we all are thinking rather that uh, that President Obama's presidency was the culmination of uh, you know, years and decades of struggle for justice and equality. Uh, this culminating moment took place again back in 2007, and uh, he was able to, uh, you know, uh, not just run for the first four years, but he was reelected to a four-year term, and so his presidency wasn't looked at as a fluke or a flash in the pan, but it was a legitimate presidency. And uh, and one that America and black Americans certainly be proud of. <laughs> uh, I want to offer my comments regarding, uh, you know, our question we asked Dr. Peniel Joseph about uh, the, uh, you know, what Dr. King would think, of course, and and what Malcolm X would think of President Obama's presidency. And of course, he said they would be proud of uh, of the fact that we America uh, was able to get to that point where they were able to elect uh, its first African-American president. And, uh, you know, there 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 was some uh, gratification and satisf- satisfaction that came along with that. But the point that uh, that him and I kind of differed on was um 
you know, he, he indicated that uh, President Obama did not have a black agenda. And because he didn't have a black agenda, that, you know, his presidency uh, might be viewed a little bit um, on the weaker side. Uh, and and so I, 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 I wanted to kind of... Um, preface my thoughts by first saying that again as I said last week I thought he was the because he was the first African American president that uh, that there was a, a great deal of pressure that came along with that a great deal of pressure that President Obama faced, and I'm sure uh, there was no one that understood that pressure better than him, uh, that that he experienced the kind of pressure that no other president felt. Uh, there were, you know, he, him being the first African-American president and and that there were certain things that uh, he couldn't say, certain things that he couldn't do. Uh, he he lived his entire presidency under a microscope. And as it relates to what he did for the black community or could not do for the black community, um, what I would say is where others criticize him for not necessarily having a black agenda, I don't believe that white America would have even allowed him uh, to have that kind of agenda. If you think about it, when you go back to a moment in, in, in President Obama's, I think it was his second term, uh, that Trayvon Martin was killed by George Zimmerman. And I remember President Obama holding a press conference uh, talking about what happened. And and he, uh, you know, made the comparison that or made the statement that Trayvon could very well have been his own son, that they looked uh, ironically alike. And 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 I remember how the Republican Party just lambasted President Obama for even uh, stating something like that, and that uh, you know uh, where you know what where where does he get off making that kind of statement, and and he was really just trying to articulate how he felt about the killing of this young. Uh, African-American male. And so, uh, you know, here, if you look at that event and how small that was in comparison to uh, some of the things that we want, some of the policy and legislation that we might have wanted as African-Americans and how Republicans overreacted to some to a, to a statement like that, then you can only imagine what it would have been if Barack Obama would have began his presidency uh, with sweeping legislation uh, that uh, and that impacted the black community. It would have failed. It would not have been. Uh, it would not have passed. He and and so he really had to fight hard for legislation. You, you saw that with the auto industry crash when uh, when the, when when he had to bail the auto industry out in his first term. And Republicans wanted to see that see it happen. He said, let the let the industry crash. And 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 if it was not for uh, President Obama's willingness to 
save the auto industry, rolling up his sleeves uh, to make sure that this industry did not go away. Uh, the auto industry would not be here to do so. It, he, he doesn't he does not have the ability to do that because of the color of his skin. And so uh, no one saw that more clearly, I think. Then President Obama, uh, Dr. Dyson talks about this in his book, The Black President, in some ways. Uh, but I think that, um, you know, it was when I was when I asked the question of Dr. Joseph, uh, I, I, I really wanted to 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 ask, was it a fair criticism of President Obama that he did not have a black agenda or was it an unfair um, an unfair criticism of his uh, for us to think that he should have a black agenda. So these again are just some of our thoughts, uh, you know, that came out of our interview with Dr. Joseph. Uh, you know, there's only so much you can discuss uh, in an hour's time. I could have very well talked to him for longer than that. Uh, but, um, you know, wanted to share some of that context with you, the listeners of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And I hope you enjoy part one. And I know you're going to enjoy part two of our interview with Dr. Peniel Joseph, author of The Sword and the Shield, The Revolutionary Lives of Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We highly recommend you go out and purchase this book. I guarantee you're going to enjoy it, especially in this time and in this moment that we are in. Reading the book really made you made you think about what we're experiencing now. Uh, again, I uh, actually listened to it on Audible uh, and uh, Dr. Joseph was the narrator for the book and listening to it almost made you think that you were in the even though he was describing the 1960s it was almost as if he was talking about the present time that we're currently in right now so I think this book is relevant it's on point it's a very timely read so I, I highly recommend you go out and check it out I think you're going to enjoy it before we get into our interview with Dr. Peniel Joseph, I wanted to share with you a video that I ran across on social media uh, from the Joy uh, Reed show on MSNBC, where uh, she has a video of a distraught white female police officer uh, recently um, in the parking lot of a McDonald's where she's visibly upset. She's crying because they got her breakfast order wrong. And she's attributing this uh, to the public's growing distrust of the police. And then Joy follows this video, video up with some commentary. Take a listen. Right now I'm too nervous to take a meal from McDonald's. Because I can't see it being made. I don't know what's going on with people nowadays. But please, just give us a break. Here is a tale of fast food and policing. That video of a weepy police officer crying in frustration over not receiving the correct breakfast order at a McDonald's drive-thru went viral today. With law enforcement boosters saying it showed how unappreciated and frightened police officers feel these days. With mean protesters marching and yelling about police killings of black people for the third straight week worldwide. But needless to say, there are worse things that can happen in a fast food parking lot than not getting your egg McMuffin. Like 
falling asleep in your car while black and getting shot in the back by police when they arrived because you ran after a 46-minute interrogation, as happened to Rayshard Brooks. Like the eerie stills of that former officer killing George Floyd, this image shown at the press conference today by Fulton County District Attorney Paul Howard showing the officer who shot Mr. Brooks kick his body while he lay dying on the ground after reportedly uttering, I got him, while a second officer stood on the dying man will live in infamy in the story of American policing. It is the visual proof of what black people have been crying out is the dehumanizing attitude toward our lives and toward our bodies that too many officers, mostly white, walk around with while armed with a gun and a license to kill. So officer lady, excuse us if we find it hard to view your faulty breakfast as a crisis. And perhaps if you're that easily freaked out, maybe you shouldn't be allowed to carry a gun. Meanwhile, the fear our officer Karen was articulating seems related to an ugly accusation made by a police union this week that fast food workers at a Shake Shack location actually poisoned a group of officers with bleach, which turned out to be completely untrue. But that dangerous libel on low paid workers shows you what too often we are dealing with when it comes to law enforcement. The rush to judgment that low-wage people and non-white people are probably criminals. Meanwhile, today is the five-year anniversary of the massacre of nine black parishioners inside Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a case in which we also were reminded of how differently interactions with law enforcement can go down if you're white, even if you're a multiple murderer. Because while Rayshard Brooks was executed in a Wendy's parking lot for daring to run away after being detained for no reason for nearly an hour and for taking a taser to try and free himself from officers, he clearly had every reason to fear. Dylan Roof, who again had already gun massacred nine people in Charleston, the racist who glorified apartheid era South Africa, he was not just detained peacefully. He was fed a nice Burger King lunch by the arresting officers. Which makes what South Carolina Senator Tim Scott said today, even after acknowledging the grim anniversary at a press conference, announcing whatever that was, because it's not reform, so ahistoric and so strange. I don't know how to tell people that the, the, the nation is not racist. I'll try again. We're not a racist country. That's our show for tonight. All In with Chris Hayes is up next. I share this video with you because uh, it's, it's, it's sort of, um, I don't want to say comical, but, uh, you know, for this police, uh, female police officer uh, to try to uh, somehow gain the sympathy of us uh, because they got her breakfast order wrong and trying to uh, somehow attribute uh, this to the public's growing distrust of the police is um, a bit, we're not trying to say that all cops are bad because I don't believe that to be true and I do believe we do need the police uh, because I don't want to live in a country where there is no such thing as law and order uh, but I do believe that our criminal justice system needs a complete reset not just a reform but a complete reset uh, and uh, we've talked about that in past shows um, but 
you know, for this police officer to, uh, you know, try to gain the sympathy of us uh, because they got her breakfast order wrong. And then Joy rightfully uh, says that there are much bigger uh, things uh, for you to be concerned about than your breakfast order. Uh, how about, uh, you know, the, 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 the death of George Floyd? How about the, the death of uh, Rashad Brooks? Uh, Rashawn Brooks? How about the death of Breonna Taylor and uh, Ahmaud Arbery and Tamir Rice and Sandra Bland? How about uh, the growing, uh, this growing crisis here in America, you know, and, and, and what does that mean to you? You know, for you to be upset about a breakfast order seems a bit uh, uh, seems a bit minuscule when you look at the grand scheme of things and all that is going on around us. I just couldn't help but share that on tonight uh, to add some bit of a comic relief uh, to uh, somewhat uh, to a a very serious uh, I shouldn't say somewhat but very serious uh, state of affairs Uh, but um, of course we've this video has been circulating around social media along with many others that I'm sure you've seen as well and we wanted to just share that with you before we jump into our interview with Dr. Peniel Joseph. Well, guys, we're going to take our first break of the night. But when we come back, we're getting right into our interview. Part two of our interview with Dr. Peniel Joseph, noted scholar and author of the book, The Sword and the Shield, The Revolutionary Lives of Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You don't want to go anywhere. You're tuned in to one of the hottest radio shows online. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. You're tuned in to the Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. Giving voice to issues that matter to you. Hi, my name is Maya and you're listening to the Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. With radio show host and my daddy, Michael Nimmons. You better listen to that little girl. Stephanie D. Sanders, award-winning singer, songwriter, author, voiceover artist, and more. Heard on shows like the Tom Joyner Morning Show and the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Book Stephanie D. Sanders, the voice over your podcast or radio intros or commercials. Do yourself a favor and visit stephaniedsanders.com and upgrade your podcast or radio show by booking Stephanie D. Sanders. You'll definitely be glad that you did. Black to the bone, to the core, to the root, I am to America a very strange fruit. Born from a tree nearly wilted from its traps into a world content with racial labeling and criminal profiles. I search for truths that have been withheld from books produced to tell history. And it's a mystery how they missed me or people like me when our backs were broken from building this country and our hands were calloused from sowing seeds upon which men and women would bleed and still not be free for another 300 years. I believe some mothers still cry those slaves' tears because fear and anger run deep and get passed down through generations like heirlooms. 
And in the air looms the stench of discrimination as this nation falls deeper into complacency, denying black beauty and black pride. Black lives really do matter. Here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were insufficient? Who told you that you were a loser? Who told you that you were a failure? Who told you that you were deficient? Who told you that you were nothing? Who told you that you were worthless? Who told you that you had no value? Who told you that you to believe who told you that you were naked it's a dynamic empowering and inspiring book about identity that is a definite must-have pastor nimmons talks about an identity crisis that dates as far back as the garden of Eden. you don't want to miss these powerful insights into not just the problem of this identity crisis but the discovery of the spiritual solution Get your copy now, available on Amazon for just $14.95 or by visiting michaelnemons.com. Like a victim when you are already victorious. You're tuned in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked, keep it locked, keep it locked. I've studied you know, Dr. King and Malcolm X, but Dr. King is definitely one that uh, I, you know, have uh, studied all my life as an adolescent. I remember listening to a lot of his speeches and, and reading his books. Uh, I loved his mannerisms, his oratory. And um, I remember uh, even, uh, you know, reciting speeches in school and whatnot, you know, but um, my question deals with um, Dr. King as the womanizer. And that is, and that is, is something that I'm not sure a lot of people are aware of uh, when you talk about his legacy. Um, you talk about it in your book. Uh, yeah. The first time I, the first time I was made aware of that was when I was in college and I read Dr. Michael Eric Dyson's book. I may yeah. not get there with you. Yes. Yeah. And um, I was really, I mean, it was like a, a a blow to my heart because I've always viewed him as someone that was morally you know, pure. And, 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 uh, and so my question to you, uh, Dr. Uh, Joseph is, you know, why, 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 um, why should we discuss that part of or that aspect of his life? Um, and does that do harm to his legacy overall? Well, no, I don't think it does harm to his legacy. You know, I, I mentioned it in the context of, um, FBI surveillance and how they tried to blackmail him, but I certainly don't dwell on it. Right. And so I think that it's important to know that these were black men who were under all these pressures. At times they made mistakes. You know, I mentioned that, hey, Malcolm had a strained marriage, you know, the relationship with, with Betty, he's on the road a lot. But right. I'm not trying to get and, um, into, in, into some kind of gossipy details or something. Um, but it's, I, I don't think it takes away because, you know, the FBI was surveilling uh, Dr. King. You can have high political moralities and make mistakes in your personal life. Uh, Malcolm was a former convict, but in his personal life, he had vowed to be, you know, the most upstanding member of the Nation of Islam ever. And he, he fulfilled that. 
you know? Right. Um, right. But it doesn't necessarily mean his, his personal life was any much more happier than Dr. King's, right? I mean, these are, these are 100% movement men, you know, like the sacrifice in a lot of ways becomes their families. You know, Malcolm left four children living behind. Betty was pregnant with twins, so he ends up with six girls, um, two who never meet him. Um, King had four children, so they had 10 children between them, um, and both the widows, uh, uh, Dr. Betty Shabazz and, and, you know, really Dr. Coretta Scott King, um, they are left bereft, and they're looking to try to make money, they're looking to try to um, feed their families, and they're looking to try to educate their children, right? So one of the things you see is there's a high price for that kind of commitment. So they gave their lives to the people, um, and neither Malcolm nor Martin um, lived to see the, their 40th birthdays. And as somebody who's lived to see past his 40th, I can tell you how I realize, and as a father, how short a lifespan they both live. Right, right. And, and um, but you also look at all that they were able to accomplish. Yeah. You know, before they, you know, even given the fact that they did not make it to their 40th birthday, but but they, but they, it was like they hit the ground running. Yes. After, after Malcolm left, well, was paroled and he left prison, you know, he left there with, um, you know, motivation and, and, and a desire to, to change the world. And the same with Dr. King at 15, you know, graduate of Morehouse College and, 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 and already thinking about how he's going to impact the world around him. And so, yes, they did die young but they did accomplish uh, a great deal. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think um, it's important for us to understand that, you know, their assassinations are for a reason. They're leading these political revolutions and there's real fear of what they might do um, as the 1960s um, progress, right? And what right. they can accomplish as right. the 1960s progress. So King is assassinated right before leading a uh, Poor People's March and he's right. in Memphis, Tennessee and he's assassinated helping 1,100 sanitation workers. And Malcolm is assassinated really while he's doing all this um, diplomacy and getting involved in the civil rights movement and getting involved with trying to, um, really there's a black power movement that's happening even while Malcolm is alive, even though we date it with Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture, 66. So he's really trying to get those two wings of the black freedom struggle together and he's assassinated. So. Um, it, it's very important to understand the, the kind of threat that they represented to this, to this really um, uh, cruel system that they were opposed to. Right. Absolutely. I know you guys are enjoying our interview with Dr. Joseph, Dr. Peniel Joseph. I'm so happy to have him on the Thinking Out Loud radio and TV show. We're just talking about his newest book, The Sword and Shield, The Revolutionary yeah. Lives of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's right. <laughs> Get your copy, guys. Get your copy. Now, Dr. I, Dr. Joseph, I got to get my hard copy, and uh, I would love for you to, to, to sign it for oh, me. Oh, yeah, well. absolutely. absolutely. I'd love to get a copy. I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy it on Amazon, and I have to uh, get it, uh, mail it to you so I can get a copy, get a, get a signed copy. Oh, yeah, it. absolutely. But definitely, definitely I want to do that. I've been collecting uh, uh, books with, with signatures. I have a few of Dr. Dyson's. and you know, Oh, yeah. I just did uh, yeah. a podcast with Dr. Dyson. Dr. Dyson's a great friend. Yeah, absolutely. It was a tweet from him that uh, actually inspired me to actually get the book. And so oh, um, I have to give him a shout out on the show. Yeah. Absolutely. 
<laughs> um, so uh, continuing with our discussion on the night, I want to ask you, you know, kind of in the same vein of what uh, Dr. King or Malcolm X would think of, um, you know, in this moment, um, you know, uh, it's, it's been about 11 years um, since the nation uh, first elected this its first African-American president. Yeah. Um, you know, your book talks a lot about the 60s and how um, black people were struggling for and fighting for equality and justice uh, during that time. And, and Malcolm X and Dr. King were a big part of that, uh, that, that, that struggle for equality. What do you think they would say about our nation electing its first African-American president? And what rating do you think they would give him for his presidency? Well, I mean, I think, I think Malcolm and, and King would be able to see that on some levels there was a kind of um, symbolic racial progress of electing a, a, a black president. I think that um, on some levels they'd be surprised because it seemed like that wasn't going to happen. Um, mm. he's, you know, he was elected 12 years ago. I think right. then they would look at the policies. So I think that, you know, the grade is, is, a, is a mixed grade because, you know, Obama tried to do some things for uh, Black America, and there were some good things that the Justice Department did under Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch. Um, there were some good things that happened with the stimulus package. Um, by 2015, 16, the last couple of years in office, he spoke more, more forthrightly about racism um, certainly than he had before. But um, by and large, Black people in a policy sense didn't really do um, that well during that time. And I think it's not necessarily just about Obama. It's about the political and economic system we're in, in terms of uh, racial capitalism that, that really exploits uh, Black bodies and Black labor and, and exploits their, takes, takes wealth from, from us, our very beings, including those of us who are in prison, incarcerated, those of us who are poor, um, those of us who are killed and murdered, um, they extract value from us that we don't accrue for ourselves. So you, you extract value by criminalizing black people, by making white folks fearful of them and saying, here's what, here's what you need to give me. You need to give me the power and money to protect you from them, right? So in a lot of ways, white wealth, white privilege um, is all based on black subordination and black misery and black death in this country. Policy-wise, institutional-wise, wealth redistribution, the, uh, the, the seizure of African-American land historically. Ta-Nehisi Coates has talked about that in the case for reparations. So there, there's, you know, there's a lot, you know, and I think Obama, at times the community got mesmerized because they were so you know, the, the, the most positive benefit is probably the psychological benefit that accrued to seeing a black man, beautiful black woman um, in the White House um, who, who were not, they weren't Clarence Thomas. They weren't rejecting us, right? Right. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't saying that we don't matter. So I think that became, coupled with the, the racism that they experienced from the Tea Party from Donald Trump, the birther movement, right. um, from all the white supremacists, it made us want to really defend the Obamas. You know, I've had an opportunity to meet Michelle Obama. I've taught her book, Becoming. So I admire the Obamas, but in a policy sense, not enough was done, um, not enough was done to, to aid the black community. There was no black agenda per se, right? You know, right. so 
when you don't have that agenda, we, we lose out because everybody else has an agenda. Right. And, and, and that would be, you know, that would be part of my critique of his, of his presidency as well. You know, um, I think we were expecting, um, well, I'm not going to say we, but let, let me, let me, let me do it this way. A lot of, a lot of black people were expecting their first, the first African-American president to kind of be their quote unquote savior in the white house. He would come in and, and, and he would, um, give us, uh, a lot of the things that we have been looking for, you know, reparations, uh, and, uh, he would, you know, put the, put the white man in his place and all those kinds of things. And, and he would be more defiant and, 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 and we never saw that Obama didn't even run, uh, for president as the black candidate. Yeah. Um, he understood that if he did, then he would, I think, eliminate or, or, or narrow his, his demographic when it came to yeah. the people that were going to vote for him. Uh, he understood that he had to be America's president uh, before he was black America's president. Um, I did think though that his, that he would be the blackest or the, or, or blacker president in his second term. Um, and, yeah, and I think he was though. I think he was, especially, I mean, once they lost the um, 2014 Senate, um, right. he definitely, you know, w- was, was better on that score. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, I read uh, Dr. Dyson's book, The Black President. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. Teach that. And he yeah. was very, he was, uh, uh, this is a conversation I wanted to have with him as well, because, you know, I, I really felt like he was really, his critique of Obama was, was kind of unfair in a sense because he was the first whenever you're well, first. You know, I, I, I thought, you know, I thought um, Dr. Dyson's critique was, um, I thought it was fair. You know, I thought it was a fair critique because I think that okay. um, Obama, people elected him, black people, to definitely alleviate our suffering, our collective suffering, mass right. incarceration, um, poverty, uh, police violence and terror, but also structural violence against us, um, kids who are disproportionately diagnosed with asthma, you know, um, young folks who've got HIV in places like Washington, D.C., who are being sexually trafficked, domestic violence and abuse, Black women heading single-family households right below the poverty line, below the poverty line, but also right above just struggling, disproportionate homelessness, disproportionate lack of health care, lack of social security, lack of elder care, lack of child care. There's a lot. There's a lot there, you know? And so, um, you know, we had a right to expect more. And I think Dr. Dyson is very much um, fair because he admires Barack Obama. I admire Barack Obama. I admire Michelle Obama. But you can't, you can't if you're Black, you can't allow your admiration for Black people who are trying to do good to prevent you from having a, criti- a critique of their shortcomings. It can right. be a loving critique, but I thought when I read that book that that was a loving critique. You know, he talked about where Obama did well, but he also talked about the shortcomings. And I think part of the problem in having the first black president was that we were disallowed from both critiquing him and having a black agenda. And at the end of the day, that really hurt us because voter suppression happened. 
so much stuff happened. So then you go from Obama to Trump and mm-hmm. we're in an even deeper mess. And certainly um, if we had gotten more from that administration, perhaps we could have organized enough to not have this current president. Right. You're tuned in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked, keep it locked, keep it locked. Congratulations to Pastor Michael Nimmons for over 20,000 streams and downloads. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and MichaelNimmons.com. Tune in today. The Thinking Out Loud radio show giving voice to issues that matter to you. The people have spoken. From Minneapolis, Minnesota, to London, England, from New Zealand to New York City. Black Lives Matter and I Can't Breathe are the sentiment of people around the world. Dr. King was right. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We must do everything we can to continue to march, protest, and rally for justice. Let us march on until victory is won. An important message from the Thinking Out Loud radio show. You're listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show with Pastor Michael Nimmons. Don't you dare touch that dial. I hope you're enjoying part two of our interview with Dr. Peniel Joseph, author of The Sword and the Shield. Let's get back into this powerful and insightful interview. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of, of, of presidency and black presidents, um, you know, uh, I read in a, I read somewhere that uh, Dr. King um, back in the '60s, I think it might have been '63 or '64, um, that they were um, uh, considering him for a third-party presidential candidate. Oh yeah, in 1968, people wanted oh. him to, but Dr. King wasn't going to do it. But 1968, people wanted him to run for um, for president. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, and, and they were, it was something to the effect that he was going to, they were considering him for a third party candidate. And, and my question kind of is like, you know, what, what kind of president, if that was even possible, you know, what kind of president do you think Dr. King would have been? Well, I say King would have never run for president, nor would he have accepted it. Because being an American president 
And this is another thing that happened to Obama, you know, and Cornel West has criticized him for this, uh, right. for drone bombs, for having to defend the realm in ways that might be immoral or illegal or unethical. So mm-hmm. Dr. King would have never taken the levers of, of, of power because you, you can't ever have moral hands if you're head of a nation state. Okay, okay, Morally all right. Hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and yeah, he, he, he didn't, it, it was, I think the way, the way it was written was that um, he, they never made it public, but it was something that they were, you know, kind of doing in the back to kind of see if, if, if well, some people wasn't. asked him publicly. They wanted King to run with Dr. Benjamin Spock, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's who they wanted him to run with, yeah. All right. Well, um, I have uh, my, my next question for you, um, Dr. Joseph, um, you know, deals with, um, you know, if, if Malcolm X and Dr. King are two of the more polarizing figures for um, the 1960s. They're, they're the two figures you, you wrote about in your book, The Sword and the Shield. Um, here we are in the 21st century. Who are those two polarizing figures for Black America um, in, this, in this moment that we are, we're in right now with yeah. you know, police brutality, with COVID-19, yeah. with white supremacy, racism? Yeah. Who are the ones, who are those leaders that we have to look to um, yeah. In this in this century, yeah, and I would say that you know I'd say yeah, uh, you know I would say who are the important leaders because I think he they were polarizing for white folks but not for the black community, mm-hmm. right? So the black community embraced them. I, you know I think we we don't necessarily have Malcolm and Martins um, who are national figures right now. We have Black Lives Matter activists, you know Opal Tometi, Alicia Garza. We've got Phil Agnew. We've got um, Dream Defenders. We've got Reverend William Barbara. We've got Al Sharpton. I think you just have multi-generational and you don't have um, that kind of iconic um, figures that you had with Angela Davis and with uh, Kathleen Cleaver and, you know, Huey Newton and, you know, you know, Stokely mm. Carmichael. I mean, you know, so it, it's not, you know, Ella Baker, Fannie Lou Hamer, you don't have, it's not, this, they're, they're not as well known. Now, do I think people are doing that movement work and that root work? Yeah, they're doing it in every single city. They're doing it in every single state, but the times are different, right? You know, so you have some, certain, uh, in, in certain ways, some public intellectuals, including doc, Dr. Dyson, Dr. West, um, are, are, are very, very important figures now, right? So things have just changed in terms of um, um, the times. It doesn't mean movement has changed, but we don't have the same kind of iconic figures who can meet with presidents and, and, and be statesmen um, or stateswomen in that way. What do you think um, can account for that? that? Is it just the changing of the, or the different times that we live in, or, or is it something else that is responsible for that? Yeah, I mean, it's a combination. I think movements don't want just these iconic leaders anymore because if they get killed, it can be really dispiriting for the movement. If they get jailed, if they falter, look, it never came out when he was alive, but if Dr. King's uh, affairs had come out when he was alive, that would have really hurt the movement, you know? Right. And so, you don't, you know, what, what happens by not relying on one person, you don't have to expect one woman or man to be perfect, right? So that's, that, you know, that's, that can be something that's very, very positive. But I also think the times have changed. Like who the press wants to focus on is gonna be much different 
than in the 1950s and 60s when this was relatively new and the press used it and needed a story, right? So right. things have changed um, on, that, on that level too. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's, um, you know, I've, I've uh, and not just, I, and not just that, I, not just those um, iconic figures or the lack thereof in this time, but when you look at, when you look at the people during this time, um, you know, and you talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, you talk about the protest movements that have come out of um, our generation, um, the people themselves, I think, are different, much different than in the 1960s. Wouldn't you agree? That, yeah, that think- they, they seem to be more, uh, um, I, I was watching some of the protests and that were peaceful and then the ones that, that, uh, that ended up getting a bit violent, it seems to me like the, the patience level is not, is, is, is different with this generation versus the 1960s. The, oh, yeah. The, there's very, le- there's, there's, there's little, very little patience in this generation than it was in the 1960s. Well, I think in the 60s, people were impatient, but I do think you're right that it's a different generation, you know? So um, the folks who are just in the, in the streets right now, the folks who are, um, um, you know, first of all, this is a much more multiracial protest. There's a right. lot of folks in the streets. Right. Uh, not everybody, you know, many, there's a generation that hasn't been trained in nonviolent civil disobedience, right? Um, there's, all, there's all kinds of things. This is a social media generation. Um, and this is not even the millennials. It's really post-millennials, Generation I or Generation Next or Generation Z. They have all these names for them. So they, they are absolutely... Um, uh, fundamentally different. And they're also, think of it, uh, Michael, they're being raised in the context of COVID-19. Many of our youngest people who are eligible to vote were born right after September 11th or right around September 11th. And now there's COVID-19, there's mass unemployment, um, there's these racial justice marches. So the, the country, in terms of American democracy, there's all these cataclysmic changes. There's a big concentration of wealth, you know, um, they even said just since COVID-19, the wealthy have made $434 billion more. So, mm. you know, there, there's, there's, there's a, there's, they're, they're growing up in a racially stratified, racially segregated, um, economically deprived uh, for large segments of the American populace um, society. That's what they're growing up in, right? And, uh, you know, they've, they've seen Colin Kaepernick do you know, go on bended knee for a peaceful protest and lose his job and be vilified for that, right? And right. so people, uh, this was a powder keg. And Malcolm X used to always say that America was a racial powder keg that was going to explode sooner or later. And, you know, you saw Harlem, you saw Watts, you saw Birmingham, you saw Newark, uh, you saw Detroit. Uh, and then after Dr. King's assassination, 125 cities exploded. And right now you've seen over 100 cities, 40 uh, with curfews. You've seen police officers violently brutalize people. You've seen police officers, even here in Austin, rubber bullets, put a 20-year-old young man in a coma. Um, people have lost eyes being at um, um, these demonstrations. So America is a police state, and I think Black people have always known that, but setting up this monstrosity of a criminal injustice system to exploit and curtail Black success and Black dignity and Black citizenship has also put tremendous strain 
on these institutions and the budgets of these institutions. So it's actually impacting white folks too. It's impacting mm. corporate America because this is not how you create a just society, an equitable society, a pragmatic functioning society. So uh, like Malcolm said, again, the chickens are coming home to roost. To roost. That's, that's what Malcolm said after Kennedy's assassination. And he wasn't glorying Kennedy's assassination. He was just saying that it was karma, the violence that is constantly being unleashed by American empire, by American imperialism, had fell the president on November 22nd, 1963. And right now, this is about chickens coming home to roost. Right. And... Don't, 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 don't touch that dial. It's a Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. This is Michael Eric Dyson, and when I'm in Detroit, I listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show, dropping that knowledge, giving that inspiration, giving us that enlightenment. Nobody does it like Brother Michael does it. Do your thing. Holla. Peace. The Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Author and speaker, Dr. Eddie Connor. I was reading something the other day, and it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's been 50 years since uh, Dr. King was killed. 50 years later, they're still killing kings, you know, uh, to, to really speak truth to power, but also to, to speak to our young men about uh, police brutality, but also a whole spectrum that, in many cases, they live in the crosshairs of society. We can give them all the, the tips, tools, and things of the trade of how to govern yourself accordingly. But we see young men all across America, and we, you know, uh, in many cases, we just become desensitized to a young man who is shot and killed because the police were threatened by the fact that he pulled something out of his pocket and it was a phone when they thought it was a gun. Practitioner and spokesperson, Dr. Victoria Dooley. I do feel strongly that as the African-American community and the church, we need to take mental illness more seriously, and we need to make it okay for somebody to seek out health care for mental health issues other than prayer. Absolutely, 100%. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, Rochelle Riley. Uh, I, I can tell you, and before we leave uh, Ali, let me tell you that it wasn't just an interview with him, but my very first column called for the city of Louisville to have a museum for him because at that time there was nothing bearing his name except a little strip of street, you know, how it works in some cities where Martin Luther King Boulevard is in a part of town, but in the rest of the town it's named something else. That column ran and the mayor and other folks who knew better and who were embarrassed by it said, okay, it's time. And that helped lead to this effort that had been going on for some time to raise $80 million to build the Muhammad Ali Center, which now exists on the banks of the Ohio River. We bring you the best minds who deliver their best thoughts only on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. The 
Vision should be the next book you purchase. Written by radio host and minister Michael Nimmons. Vision is an insightful, thought-provoking book that is also a helpful tool in getting you to see your life through God's eyes. Vision Endorsed by best-selling authors Dr. Eddie Connor and Kim Brooks and mega-pastor Bishop Charles H. Ellis III. Vision is a life-changing book that you need in your personal library. Get your copy today. Available everywhere books are sold online or at michaelnimmons.com. Get your copy today. Vision. Vision. Stay tuned for more motivation, more inspiration, and more empowerment on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked. I know you enjoyed part two of our interview with Dr. Peniel Joseph, author of The Sword and the Shield. Let's hear the conclusion of part two of this amazing interview. Fell the president on November 22nd, 1963. And right now, this is about chickens coming home to roost. Right. And, you know, you said something that really struck me. And um, I want to I wanna see if you can kind of even bring it out a little bit more, is that, you know, um, of course, you, you're seeing that in these protests, that you're seeing not just black people, but white people, you're seeing brown people, you're seeing it's multiracial um, uh, individuals you know, uh, that are part of these massive protests. And they're not just happening in this country, but they're happening in, uh, in other parts of the world, you know, Berlin, Paris, New Zealand, you're seeing these protests. And now companies, uh, Fortune 500 companies are speaking out uh, against white supremacy and uh, against racism and police brutality, you know, and and all of this looks like we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Um, but my question to you deals with: Is it is race for white people a matter of uh, economics, or is race and and and, th- and that's the reason whether is race a matter of economics, and that's the reason why they are now moving more towards um, uh, us being a more equal uh, and just society versus race being a morally and ethically, racial injustice being morally and ethically wrong, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, no, I think it's a combination of both. But really, right now, all we're seeing is rhetoric. We're seeing some contributions, right? But, you know, businesses have an incentive to have just democracy work. Now, right. some businesses, like if you're a big business like Amazon, you actually don't necessarily need it to work in an equitable way. But other businesses like restaurants and different stuff, they do need it in the sense of um, they need people to come. If people are marching in the streets and riding downtown, that doesn't help them, right? And so part of this is trying to sustain the business of America. And when you think about race, I mean, no, race functions in multiple ways. Race Race, the, the primary way race functions in the United States is <clears throat> as a mechanism to uh, exploit and redistribute the value of black life uh, to, onto, onto white society and white institutions, 
<clears throat> that's just from racial slavery to the present. So it's nothing new. It's nothing new. So the racial caste system means that whether you're talking about racial slavery and cotton picking and cotton plantations or sugar plantations, you are extracting the value of black children and women and men, and you are investing that value <clears throat> in businesses, you're investing that value in public infrastructure, you're investing that value in the stock market, you're investing that value, right? And their subordinate status allows you to set up a caste system where on the white side, even the poorest whites are gonna have value in that caste system that the black folks don't have. Because you let the institutions know, criminal justice, whether it's slave drivers, convict lease systems, you, you know, sickle cell anemia, health researchers, you let, you let institutions and people know these people don't matter, okay? Right. And on top of it, you build mechanisms, whether it's the criminal justice system, you know, multiple mechanisms to oppress and exploit those people. Culturally, you might exploit their athletic prowess, you might exploit their music, you might make sure that they receive the least benefits of the culture they create, and that's hip-hop, jazz, that's, that's NFL, where you use 70% of the players are black. Very few coaches are black. Very few presidents and front office people are black. Are black. Not one black owner, right? right? So that's what the racial caste system does. So what racial caste does is have a dialectic relationship with white and black. You can only have white power and white economic success in this country directly as a result of black subordination and exploitation. You've never had capitalism in this country where black and white have equal opportunity within that system. You've never had public education in this country where black and white have equal access. You never had higher education in this country. You never had black people from the founding of the Republic to the present have equal and fair access to credit and small business loans, have equal and fair access to financial institutions and to create your own hedge fund or private equity or Silicon Valley or venture philanthropy or venture capitalism. So you have to understand that's how it works. And that's why, you know, NCOBRA, National Committee on Black Reparations, or, or this, the new book by Sandy Darity, that's why we've historically talked about reparations. Callie House, uh, and Mary Frances Blassingame talks about her, My Face is Black, My Face is True, talked about pensions for formerly enslaved. So that's how racial caste works. And um, Michelle Alexander is right when she talks about a new Jim Crow, but it's not just um, incarceration and certainly not just drug crimes. The new Jim Crow is racial caste at every single segment of American society. And it doesn't matter if there's outliers of racial success. You know what I mean? So it doesn't matter, like Jay-Z, Beyonce, Obama, it doesn't matter for the cascading numbers of African-Americans, we're 44 million, over half of us, our lives are just in shambles, right? Where you end racism when we're 12, 13% of the country and we are, we are fairly distributed along markers of success, wealth, income, access, Fortune 500, governors, senators, presidents, right, um, as we are on the negative, and we're never disproportionately um, um, overrepresented in the negative, you know. Uh, it's fine if you're overrepresented in the positive, right, but not in the negative, 
right? So we should only have 12% of black people in jail. And it's not that we commit more crimes, it's that they're policing and criminalizing us. So that's where they do all their business. And that's the same thing with Minneapolis PD. So they've just announced that they're not gonna do chokeholds anymore, but all that is BS. What, what you need to do is invest not in police. You have to have a smaller police footprint everywhere. You have to have a, a drastically reduced jail everywhere. We're talking about reducing these things by 50, 60, 70, 80%. There was only 300,000 people in jail in 1970, 2.3 million people now. So this is a real major catastrophe and racial caste is the organizing principle of this unfair kind of racist democracy um, and, and racial capitalism. Right, absolutely. I, I think Director Ava DuVernay um, kind of yeah. uh, did that in her documentary. Yes. Right, exactly. You know, brought that out and how, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a, a money-making type of venture um, in, in, in many instances when it comes to the pipeline to prison. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, 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 I'm just enjoying our conversation Dr. Uh, Dr. Joseph, my last question for you, because um, I, I know you're, you're um, <laughs> a very busy man, <laughs> but again, I appreciate your time. We appreciate your time on the Thinking Out Loud Radio and TV show. Um, but I want to, you know, with, with I, was, I was watching uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered, and he made a point about um, what these protests um, could ultimately yield when it comes to um, real incremental change for for us as Black Americans because when you look throughout history, you know it's, it it seems like you know you, we it, it, we have to revolt, we have to rebel, yeah. we have to protest, which ultimately brings about change. And so, what do you think? You know, after all of this monumental change, or my I'm sorry, monumental protests, these massive protests. Uh, here we are on the tenth or eleventh day of continued protests around the country and the world. What do you think um, we should expect or what do you think we will ultimately, this ultimately will lead us, uh, getting us closer to um, the elimination of, you know, police brutality in, in the black community or a solution or, you know, um, what, what do you think this will yield for us uh, in this iteration of history for, for black Americans? Yeah, I think, I think, Michael, that this offers us a generational opportunity um, to transform and reimagine American democracy. I think we have to think big. It's the work of a generation. It goes, it includes, but it really transcends and it's beyond the criminal justice system. It's beyond policing. A lot of this is investing. And where you invest is where your heart, your empathy, uh, your resources, your wealth lies. So we have to invest in black communities. We have to invest in employment. We have to invest in anti-racist policies locally. Everybody should be organizing at the local level um, to end racist policies of yes, policing, but also the budgets of police and criminal justice, uh, monies that are not going into black communities. We need to defeat racial segregation once and for all in both public schools and neighborhoods. When communities are gentrifying like East Austin where 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 in the city that I live or downtown Brooklyn or Oakland now, we need to be there to fight to guarantee that black communities stay even while white investments coming, even if that means people don't pay any property taxes, even if it means that the city has to finance the rehabilitation of their homes so they can stay there, they can attend these good schools that are racially integrated now. 
there's so much different things we have to do to ensure environmental fairness, we're disproportionately living, where there's toxic environments, where there's asbestos, lead, there's no clean water, we're disproportionately having no access to mental wellness and healthcare. So many of our black brothers and sisters are being shot down in the street like dogs by police, uh, by, but because they've had a, a, a mental health crisis, uh, whether that's bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. Um, we're the number one uh, 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 victims of gun violence in places like Chicago and other places. We have to not only just get guns off the street, but we have to have real opportunity and real equality of outcomes, educating young black boys and educating young black girls. Uh, one of the biggest uh, tests is getting our children on reading level by the third grade. So we need even more aid than just Head Start. We need guaranteed income and a universal basic income for all Americans, including all black Americans, right? We need to have a serious push and, and not just conversation, but a framework for reparations and how that would work whether that's free community college, whether that's free healthcare. So we do need a black agenda. So people should be pushing for that black agenda, that racial justice agenda. We need to educate uh, would-be white allies. We need to educate people on not just anti-racism, because people talk about anti-racism and I agree, but it's racial justice. It's racial justice and building towards that beloved community and building towards what Malcolm X called black dignity and King called black citizenship but it's human rights, right? So we need to be doing that right now, wherever we are. You know, I'm doing it here in Austin. I know you're doing it where you're at. We need to be doing that. And it's gonna take the work of a generation, but then we can see in 10, 20 years where we're at. We need to vote, we need to vote, but voting is just the tip of the spear. We need to all vote. We need to get everybody in our community who's 18 and over, who's legally eligible to vote, to be registered to vote. We need to do that ASAP. But it's not just that. We need to go to the city council. We need to go to the mayor's office. We need to go to our local public schools. We need to make sure that when there's a city council meeting or a neighborhood meeting and people talking about neighborhood density, that we get more density in predominantly white spaces so black people can have access to the supply chain of privilege that white suburbs or wealthy parts of the city have, just like white counterparts. Right now, when you look at the data, even black people who are middle and upper middle income live much closer to poverty than white people who are middle and upper, upper income, right? So there's so much that we need to do in every single um, aspect of society. But now that there's some companies or some corporations, anybody who has a nonprofit that's doing anti-racist racial justice work should be looking for help, looking for funding. We need to do all of that simultaneously. You know, so we just have to roll up our sleeves and take this opportunity and continue to do the work. Those of us who've been doing the racial justice work, we know when we see the spikes, whether it was Hurricane Katrina and there was more interest or Barack Obama or Ferguson, Katrina, um, excuse me, Ferguson, Baltimore, Black Lives Matter, and now uh, COVID-19 and the combination of George Floyd protests. So we need to do all of that. But I do think that we have an opportunity and we should be hopeful um, and just work uh, to achieve racial justice, to end institutional racism, to defeat white supremacy once and for all. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to um, uh, put an exclamation point on this interview on tonight. I want to thank my special guest, Dr. Pernell Joseph, 
for being with us on Thinking Out Loud TV and radio. Again, his book is The Sword and the Shield. That's right, guys. A great book. I recommend it. Uh, I enjoyed it, and I know you will, too. The Revolutionary Lives of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. and Malcolm X. I want to thank you so much, sir, for being on the show with us. I truly appreciate it. I hope we can stay in touch with each other because oh, we definitely would love to keep in touch and, and, and find out more about what you're doing. We'll be sharing. He sent us some links. And we'll be sharing on our Thinking Out Loud Facebook fan page so you'll be able to keep up with Dr. Uh, Joseph and uh, interviews that he's been doing all over the country uh, in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you so much, sir. And Thank may you. God continue to bless you. Thank you, Brother Michael. Thank you. Much love. Much love to you, sir. You're tuned in to the thinking out loud radio show. Giving voice to issues that matter to you. This is Michael Eric Dyson, and when I'm in Detroit, I listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show, dropping that knowledge, giving that inspiration, giving us that enlightenment. Nobody does it like Brother Michael does it. Do your thing. Holla. Peace. The Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Times are tough. We have a lot going on right now. This is uncharted territory. But remember, God is still in control. I'm radio host Michael Nemes with a word of encouragement just for you. We're going to get through this together. Let's remember those who are on the front lines tackling this virus head on. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. You are the real heroes. And to those who've lost loved ones because of the virus, we are still yet praying for you. Those who tested positive for the virus, this is not your end. You are going to get through this. We are going to get through this. Let's do what we can to stay positive, stay connected, stay home, stay healthy, and most importantly, stay safe. An important message from the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Giving voice to issues that matter to you. What's cracking Planet Earth? It's your boy Griff, comedian, author, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, philanthropist, but a Jesus Christ lover. You understand me? And you're listening to Thinking Out Loud Radio with my homeboy, Michael Nemitz. Check him out right here. Go ahead, Mike. Give him that good, good. The Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. Giving voice to issues that matter to you. Vision. 
should be the next book you purchase. Written by radio host and minister Michael Nimmons. Vision is an insightful, thought-provoking book that is also a helpful tool in getting you to see your life through God's eyes. Vision Endorsed by best-selling authors Dr. Eddie Connor and Kim Brooks and mega-pastor Bishop Charles H. Ellis III. Vision is a life-changing book that you need in your personal library. Get your copy today. Available everywhere books are sold online or at michaelnimmons.com. Get your copy today. Vision. Vision. Stay tuned for more motivation, more inspiration, and more empowerment on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked. Tonight I want to share with you a very powerful piece from the ESPYs. It was the actual intro from the ESPN award show that aired Sunday, June 21st. This piece was narrated by athletes Russell Wilson, Sue Bird, and Megan Rapinoe. And this piece discussed how sports and social activism intersect. Take a listen. Jackie, Bill, Ali, Serena. Jackie rifled the shot into left field. Jackie Robinson went from playing in the Negro Leagues to becoming the first black man to play in Major League Baseball at a time when segregation was still legal. Bill Russell, 11-time NBA champion, first black NBA head coach while playing, awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom because of his accomplishments in the Civil Rights Movement. I shook up the world. Now what are, what are they going to say about that now, huh? Muhammad Ali, the GOAT, went against the establishment and stood for the Freedom Movement when it was the unpopular position to take. The day I stop fighting for equality will be the day I'm in my grave. Serena Williams has spent her life dominating the court. But it's her courage to speak against inequality and racism that cemented her as a voice of her generation. But what if we didn't know their names? What if they were never part of the conversation? And there's also this conversation. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Those were George Floyd's last words. Ahmaud Arbery was just going out for a run and never came home. Breonna Taylor was at home in bed. Our country's work is not anywhere close to done. We need justice. We need true leadership. We need a change, and we need it now. I look at my children, and I pray for a better future, a world where the color of their brown skin doesn't stop them from their calling, from their purpose, from their destiny. I pray for a world where I don't have to fear for my children due to systemic racism from hundreds of years of oppression. The only thing that must die is racism. Black lives matter. So where do we go from here? As millions of people of all colors protest, I see a world of hurt, pain, and despair. But I also see a new generation, a generation that is calling out in desperate need for lasting change. To my white teammates and friends, we need you to lead too. Don't just listen. 
help. It's important that we keep this dialogue going and this energy alive. Because for centuries, there have been fights for justice and equality in this country, led by black people. This movement is no different. But as white people, this is the breaking point. This time, we've got to have their backs. Trust us, we know that sports are important. It's why we're gathered here tonight. But do black lives matter to you when they're not throwing touchdowns, grabbing rebounds, serving aces? If that was uncomfortable to hear, good. I used to shy away from moments like this because it's convenient to be quiet, to be thought of as safe and polite. Colin Kaepernick never shied away. He knew that discomfort was essential to liberation and that fighting the oppression against black people is bigger than sports. So will it be uncomfortable? Yes. In speaking up, will we make mistakes? Yes. That cannot stop us from trying. And not just for a few days or a few IG posts. This is our moment to prove that we know a better world is one where black lives are valued. No one deserves white privilege. It's not something we earned. Believing black people, and not just in instances of police brutality, and then finding your lane to get educated and amplify is the first step. It's great that sports are back, but George Floyd won't be there to see them. Breonna Taylor won't be there to see them. Ahmaud Arbery, Tony McDade, Nina Pop, Rayshard Brooks, Dominique Remy Fels, Leilene Polanco, Toyin Salou won't be there to see them. We can't let sports try and take us back to the way things were. Every athlete at every level has the power to show what it looks like to fight for what is right. Moments in sports like the 1968 Olympics with Tommy Smith and John Carlos fist in the air to Colin kneeling, they've helped ignite the conversation around racism. Our return must be part of the fight for justice. Our return can't just return to business as usual. Our return is our turn to stand up for what's right. It's a return we all need because sports inspire. Sports give us hope. Sports make us feel. Sports bring us together. They remind us what it's like to be on the same team. They bring out our best. Tonight, we honor our best. And as teammates, we welcome everyone. This is the 2020 ESPYs. you taking some time out of your day to spend it with us part two of our interview with dr peniel joseph author of the sword and the shield the revolutionary lives of malcolm x and dr martin Luther king jr we highly recommend you go out and check this book out again shout out to dr joseph for being on the show with us on tonight we hope you again enjoyed it Remember to follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash thinking out loud radio show and on Twitter and Instagram at TOL radio host MSN or the TOL radio show or TOL radio show. Guys, we are so excited about what we're doing, this platform, and we hope you are as well. Remember, you can go to our website, michaelnimmons.com and uh, check out our books, uh, their vision, as well as uh, who told you that you were 
were naked. Read our latest blog, The Last Dance, Lessons from the Last Dance. We wrote that uh, as a tribute to uh, The Last Dance uh, 10 part series on ESPN. A lot of great things that we have coming up as well. We'll be sharing with you some things in just a little bit, but you've got to stay tuned, guys. Remember to subscribe to the podcast, uh, like our Facebook fan page, subscribe to the, uh, the YouTube channel. Got a lot of great things coming, but you've got to stay connected with the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Well, guys, we're getting ready to get out of Tune in next week. We're going to have another great show in store for you. Well, until next time, always remember, if you think it, you can believe it. If you can believe it, you can see it. If you can see it, you can be it. If you can be it, you can achieve it. The power rests within you. The mind is the most powerful muscle in your body. Use what you got to get what you want. The power is in you. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thanks for listening. Thinking Out Loud radio show. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. To get more info about the show and the ministry, visit michaelnemons.com. Want to book radio host Michael Nemons for your next special event? Send an email to contact at michaelnemons.com. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 p.m. for the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you.